When the trail grows fainter and your path uncertain, climb on. When the rocks become sharper and tear at your feet, climb on. When rain clouds threaten and the fierce winds howl, climb on. When the air grows thin and each breath takes more effort, climb on. When the crowds turn back and the path becomes lonely, climb on. When your faith is pushed to its ultimate limit, climb on. That's right, my friend, climb on. A reward awaits for all those who refuse to give up, for all those who reach the summit. Life trails, take the next step. We've been in this uh, year-long theme, Life Trails, and uh, as we wrap up this summer in this series called The Summit, I've appreciated this Life Trails theme uh, because I, uh, well, I view my relationship with God as a, a, a journey. It's a walk. It's, a, it's, it's going down that trail of life. And since placing faith in um, Jesus Christ at the age of seven, I've seen God at work in my life and others' lives as we have walked this journey of faith together. Now, it's been a, a, a day-to-day journey of ups and downs and twists and turns, right? And, and even mountaintop and valley experiences. Uh, in my 52-year uh, journey of, uh, with God, there have been some low times. Uh, maybe you can relate to that, those valley experiences, whereas the psalmist says in Psalms 23, it has been a valley of darkness. And maybe today you sit here and you go, I can relate to that. Uh, we, you know, we can become overwhelmed with the different challenges of life. Um, and the parts, some parts, not all of it, I think it's important to understand, but some parts of the journey can, well, become wearisome. Then there are those times uh, in life where it's uh, steady as you go. Um, maybe you are in that spot right now. Uh, there may be some twists and turns in your walk, in your journey, as you walk the trail. And, but you're pressing ahead, much like the video. You're climbing on. You're pursuing what's, what's, what's next. And and um, you're seeing gradual growth in life uh, with your walk with God. Uh, you know, that's, that's the place where I like to live. I like to live in that place. Steady as you go. I prefer that. But then uh, there's other times where you have powerful mountaintop experiences. And these times in life, I, I believe they're important. I still remember the day I, uh, I placed faith in Jesus Christ, repenting of my sin, confessing him to be my savior. I, I remember that, sitting in the, in the kitchen at the table with my mom. It's still vivid in my memory. It was a mountaintop experience. Then there was the day I was baptized by my father. 
I remember that, making uh, me wanting to declare to the world, my world as big as it was, <laughs> that, hey, I was a follower of Jesus Christ. And, um, or there was that time I went through this study, and this was a longer period of time of, you know, of walking and seeing God speak into my heart and life. But it, it, in that particular study that I was going through at that time was experiencing God. And it's a, it's a study out there, and it impacted me. I was going through it in my first church where I was a youth pastor. And, and that study, man, it was a powerful study for me. And as I went over that, that study over, you know, 10 to 13 weeks there, uh, I, I, it helped me see God's will and how I can be a part of what he is doing. And that it wasn't about me, but it was ultimately about God. And it was a powerful I still live by those truths today. There's other top, other mountaintop experiences that you can have uh, that maybe you've, you've been on a missions trip. How many have been on a missions trip before? Yeah, okay, you've been on a missions trip. You've gone to those kind of things or a wilderness trip. I remember one time taking the youth up to, to uh, uh, Estes Park, Colorado, and we did a summit, you know, and, and that. And it, it was a powerful, I still remember that, sitting on top of that mountain and, and talking to God and and the wind whips around. Or maybe it's, uh, uh, you know, I, like a trip I got to go on some 17 years ago where I got to go to the Holy Land. And I walked where Jesus walked. And one of the, one of the, one of the guys that was on the trip with me, he, he said, Mark, your mouth was just open the whole time, the whole trip. He never said a thing. Just, wow. And walked in that, that time. But you know what's, you know what's interesting for me uh, and maybe you've experienced this too, uh, is that I've also had some mountaintop experiences come out of the dark moments in my life. I still remember sitting in that, that little dark computer programming room at college, and I was questioning the direction of my life and whether the choice I was making was right, and, and it, was, uh, it was dark, and it was, well, the room was dark too, that probably didn't help, <laughs> but it was a dark moment as I struggled and I grasped with, God, is, am I making the right direction in life, and, 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 and it was like, oh, I don't know, or there was the time I, w- I went to the pastor's conference, and I became so, a pastor's conference, you know, and I became so discouraged by the content of the conference that was very performance-driven in focus. And I was becoming overwhelmed. The, the enemy was using this conference to attack me and, my, and causing doubt in my, my heart and life. And I was being overcome with this sense, sense of failure as a pastor. And because my identity at that time was so... So tied to how I viewed my success as a as a as a pastor, uh, it, um, I sat at that conference and I just become more and more more discouraged. I felt this great sense of failure as a as a person as a result. I was so I was so overwhelmed at that conference that it was just like beating me down. It was like. 
man alive, I had to leave the conference. And so I, I packed up my things. I tried to sneak out so no one noticed. And I snuck out of the conference and, you know, I was at this camp. And I, I set my course. I, and it was everything I could do to drive the car home. Every bit of emotional energy just to get that car down the road and get it home. Here's the reality that I experienced in those dark times. That made, made those dark times become mountaintop experiences is that as I turned my burden, I didn't give up on God in that moment. I turned to God. And as I, as I, I turned my burden over to God, crying out to him, I, I, I heard his voice, not audibly, but as he put peace in my heart and in my thoughts, God spoke by his spirit and through his word deep into my inner soul and said basically this, Mark, be at peace. That was a dumb conference anyways. <laughs> well, maybe you didn't say that. <laughs> but I loved you, man. I love you, Mark. And as the days went on, he ministered to my soul. And he's saying, you can trust me. I'm leading you. See, those times, those times can be powerful experiences. Powerful experiences in our journey of faith. If, here's the thing. If, in the journey of faith, we take time to cry out to and be with God. Be with God. Have, have you ever asked this question why are we calling mountaintop experiences? Where did that come from? Why is it a, a mountaintop expression in that? Well, let me tell you, all right? Uh, mountains often has a significant role in God's dealings with his people. In fact, if you study throughout scripture, and that's why we're doing this series, the summit, is that many a times God worked in people's hearts and lives in mountaintop experiences. And so, so the phrase, you know, uh, so the phrase has come to mean this, this moment of transcendence, and in particular, experience of significant revelation given by God. We see God speak into our life through his word, by the Holy Spirit, as we seek him in prayer, through other followers of Jesus Christ, through circumstances. We will see him speak into our life. And so it becomes this mountaintop experience. You don't have to be on a mountaintop, but you see God, and you hear him in your heart. And so today, so today I want us to look, um, I want us to look at a mountaintop experience in Matthew chapter 17. So I invite you to open up your copy of the Word of God, or your device, and to chapter 17, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13. This passage is and this encounter that this mountaintop experience is also recorded in Mark. And we'll look at one particular verse out of Mark in, in that regards. And you can read this on your own uh, during the week also and do the parallel passages. But as we read about, we're going to read about three disciples of Jesus. Peter, James, and John, who respected Jesus uh, as a teacher and a healer and a rabbi. And to them, this was someone uh, that could do amazing, amazing things. He was a great teacher, teaching great truths of God. 
He was a healer. He was their rabbi. And uh, they admit, but at this moment, as, as Jesus leads them up to this mountain to experience this mountaintop experience, they will have never seen Jesus as they would see him on this mountain. The, the mount, what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, there's much debate uh, about which actual mount it was, uh, actually mountain that it was, that it took place on. Um, this high mountain could have been uh, Mount Hermon, and that's what I, Britt and I agree on. <laughs> that's Mount Hermon, okay. It was 9,200 uh, uh, feet high, all right, in altitude. It was north of Caesarea Philippi. It's the location of Peter's confession, which just happened previous to what's taking place here. So we believe that's most likely. Others, others believe it's Mount Tabor uh, to the south, a more traditional site. If you go to Israel, you probably, and you're going to go to the Mount of uh, Transfiguration, you will, they'll probably take you to the wrong one, all right? But uh, Mount Tabor uh, in, in that regards. But uh, regardless of which mountain, it was on. I want us to look at what took place there. Now, it's important to understand. It's important to understand what had been going on leading up to this mountaintop experience. And so if you look back in, in the previous chapters, you can, you can see that. But let me just highlight some of the things that were, were taking, uh, had taken place. Jesus had been performing uh, a series of miracles. Uh, there was the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, and then uh, Jesus walks on water. Uh, there we find uh, Peter demonstrates uh, that he can take a great step of faith but still needs to grow. And uh, an enduring faith as he takes his eyes off of Jesus, sinks in the water, Jesus has to pull him out and that. And then again, there's, uh, there's the feeding of the 4,000. And, you know, they had the feeding of the 5,000, five loaves and two fishes. But, and then they come to the, the 4,000, people need to be fed. And it's, again, the... The, the disciples are struggling. They're struggling to say, well, can he, you know, how are we going to do this? And say, hey, he's, he just fed 5,000. You can feed 4,000. So they're, they're struggling to understand the power of Jesus. And then the disciples, they watch Jesus as he's challenged and confronted by the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of that day. And and, um, and the teachers of the law, and, and, the, and then, you know, there's a, this questioning that's going on, and it's easy, who do you think you are kind of thing, and, and then Jesus pulls his disciples aside, and he asks them, he says, hey, who do you think I am? Who do you say, who do you say that I am? And Peter, this is where his great confession, uh, declaration of beliefs, saying this in Matthew 16, 16, he says, you, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But then, but then Jesus, he turns to talk about his own death. He begins to explain what's going to take place here shortly. That he's going to go to the cross, he's going to suffer many things, and he's going to die. And then on the third day he rose again. Peter Peter, being the all-wise one, I guess, <laughs> confronted one, he, he pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him. And then, you know, think about that a second, rebuking Jesus. Now, we get to look back, you know, obviously, <laughs> not a good idea. Jesus' response to him is, get behind me, Satan. You know, Jesus is basically saying, hey, 
The enemy's using you to cause me to doubt. Get behind me, man. You ever call that to someone's causing you to doubt your faith? Get behind me, Satan. I, I don't know. I don't recommend it. But, but um, that's what kind of takes place here, he says to Peter. Now, I'm not sure if Peter is in a valley right now. Like, whoa, you know, what, you know, we got this plan, and, and he had this idea of what the plan should be, and, and what he thought the will should be, the will of God should be in this situation. But he must have had some level of frustration, right? Some level of frustration in, in his heart. And then Jesus, Jesus invites him and James and John. Now, James and John... Their nicknames uh, was the Sons of Thunder. They had at one time asked, uh, you know, to call down fire from heaven to toast some people, to burn them up, the very people Jesus wanted to save, you know. And so these three out-of-control, personality-type guys, all right, maybe you can identify someone who might be like that, right? Out-of-control, personality-type guys, all right, who seem to have a, you know, they seem to have this closer relationship with Jesus than the other disciples, about a week later, invited to go up to uh, this mountaintop. So let's look at it. Let's look at this mountaintop experience of Peter, James, and John. Chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. After six days, about a week, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. So this is just them. There he was transfigured before him. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, who had already passed in past history, talking with Jesus. So Jesus, he leads them, these three, his disciples, Peter, Bain, James, and John, to this high mountain. There he's transfigured, okay? There's, there's the incredible, stunning event takes place. Uh, in, in that he reflects the glory of who he is as God. And um, it, it, it's incredible. Incredible mountaintop experience. Mark describes it this way in verse, verse 3 of chapter 9. He says, and his raiment, and I'll read it out of the King James. I, thought, I like the words there. He goes, and his raiment was, became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them or bleach them would be a way to say it. Now, this word, transfiguration, comes from the Greek word metamorphosis, which means that there's this change that goes on. This change from on the outside that comes from the inside. There's something that's bursting forth from within Jesus that is incredible, that is stunning. And, 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 and what happens is that Jesus gives them a glimpse of his glory in that moment. There would have been nothing more beautiful, captivating, or awe-inspiring than this. Now, you may think you have seen some incredible things in your life. Maybe it's been on top of a mountain and you saw this view. Or you, you've seen this incredible thing in nature. Or whatever it may be. Or stunning. or whatever. You may have think that you've seen some incredible thing in life, but it would not compare in any way to standing in the presence of Jesus in the fullness of his glory. And here's the first truth I want you to take home 
with you today, and that's this. Mountaintop experiences are about God revealing his greatness and glory to you. See, here's the thing. I, I, I think we got to grab a hold of in life as we walk in faith. God is more interested in a relationship with you than what you can do for him. So often, so often, our relationship with God is tied to what we do rather than simply abiding in the presence of God. Uh, this is where, you know, being a part of what God's doing, all right, uh, in this world has to first start by pursuing him before pursuing what you can do for him. Uh, Jesus himself said this in John 15, 4 and 5. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear much fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And here's the action step I want to just give you coming out of this. you got to make time for God to lead you to the mountaintop experiences. you got to make time first to be with God, to abide in him before you can do anything for him. So vital. So important. Now, the, the, the record goes on, the account goes on, and, and Peter, not knowing uh, what he was saying and, well, being uh, very fearful, uh, he was a doer. <laughs> Peter was a doer. You can see it evidenced here. Offered to put up three shelters for him. Look at it. It says in verse 4, he says, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. He was like, this is good. I, if you wish... Let me put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And then, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice uh, from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, instant, <laughs> And they were terrified. Now, Peter, here, as he refers to what he wants to do uh, for Christ in this moment, is most likely referencing the shelters that were used to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles when the Israelites uh, dwelt in booths for seven days. And so they would take time to be away. And so, uh, so, in, so in this question that Peter, uh, Peter is expressing, a wish, he, in a sense, he goes, he can we just stay here? Seven days would be good. Seven days would be good in this place. And um, it's, like, it's like going on a missions trip. Maybe you've been on a missions trip or a weekend retreat uh, or some time where you've, you know, you've, you've, you've gotten away and you encountered, you experienced the refreshment of God in your life. And what, what's the natural thing? You just don't want to leave that place, right? You don't want to leave that place. And sometimes you want to keep going back to that place. And um, here's, the, here's the thing. You can make it about that place or experience and not about the person 
Who met you in that place? Jesus. Jesus. So in this mountaintop experience of, of Peter, James, and John, God reveals some, some more of his glory uh, that, as that bright cloud enveloped them and, and the voice of God from the cloud declaring, you know, that this is my son whom I well pleased and listened to him. And so here, God the Father interrupts Peter, all right, to give him a verbal visual validation of his one and only son, who is the king of kings. And so here's the second truth I, I, I want you to take home with you, and that is this. Mountaintop experiences are about knowing Jesus, who that Jesus is God's, God's son. And the action step that comes out of this is that you've got, we've, in, we've got to make a commitment in our heart. We've got to make a commitment in our heart that it, it be about our relationship with Jesus, that he is God. We need to confirm that. And let that be the basis from, see, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, that he is God, God's son. Well, the disciples' response of that, you know, falling face down in awe and fear and being in the presence of a holy God. And then, and then this happens, and look at what happens in verse 7. Jesus came and he touched them. He touched them. He said, get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. In that moment, in that moment, Jesus' touch leads them now to come down off the mountaintop and to also walk in great courage and faith in God. You know, the disciples, they never, they never forgot what happened on that day, uh, on that mountain. And, and, and that's ultimately what was God's purpose in leading them up that mountain in the first place. Listen to what, listen to what Peter writes as he becomes, you know, Peter is, 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 he's labeled the rock upon which the church will be built. And this is what he writes in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, we did not follow clever, invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for we received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. And so these disciples, these disciples who witnessed this transfiguration, they, be, they bore witness to others, the other disciples. In fact, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're writing down from these other disciples what took place so that we have a record of it today. And it goes down through the centuries to today that we are able to read about it. And what took place. And here's the thing. When Jesus touches your heart, calms your soul, and speaks peace into your life, it changes you. It changes you and it strengthens you to live out the faith you've been given in Jesus Christ. And here's the third truth I want you to take home with you. And that's this. 
mountaintop experiences are about you being strengthened in your faith. God wants to use these times for you to encounter him so that you can be strengthened. Mountaintop experiences, they're, they're good to have periodically in your life. Whether, whether it's the result of a you know, missions trip, a men's or women's youth retreats, it's one of the things I'm, why I'm so big on taking youth to camps. I want them to encounter God in a powerful way. Um, or even in those dark valleys, uh, you may have had to walk through. And as you turn to God and you saw him speak into your life by the Holy Spirit and his word. So, you know, it's important to remember those times. And praise God for how he has revealed himself to you. And so this is the next action step I want to give you. Regularly remind yourself how God has worked in your life. You know, this uh, past year, Brent has challenged everyone in small groups uh, to do this uh, in, in, by writing out your story. And I don't know if you've done that yet. I did it. And I shared my story with my small group. And uh, it, was, it was actually a very healthy experience because it allowed me to look back. First of all, you know, we, we're writing a story so we can tell others and, and share Christ with others. But ultimately, it's also a great reminder of how, how God works and how he has worked in your life. And so part of this, you know, the, the goal this past year has been doing it. Maybe you haven't done that. And I would encourage you, go to the website and just click on the resource a tab there and, and download that, that guide. And maybe this week, that's what you need to do. You need to write out your story so you can stand upon how God and, and build upon that and let that strengthen your, your faith and be reminded. Be reminded. Jesus Christ is God. He is God. There's a fourth truth. Um, a fourth truth I want you to take home with you today, and that is this. Mountaintop experiences about knowing and doing the will of God. Now, Jesus had already spoken to his disciples in detail in the previous chapter about the fact that he must die, and he addresses it again here kind of in his wrap-up. And so let's look at the final section in this passage we're looking at today, verses 9 through 13. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Do not tell anyone what you have seen, until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, referring back to John the Baptist, who came in the spirit of Elijah. And they did not recognize him. But they have done to him everything they wished in the same way the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands, referring to himself. And then verse 13, the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. So after all this is over, this incredible encounter with God takes place. Jesus tells him not to tell anyone until after he's raised from the dead, 
And you might wonder, you know, wh why? 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 What's going on here? Why is Jesus giving this instruction? Well, first, uh, many people may not have believed the story uh, of the three disciples if they shared it right away. However, after Jesus rises from the dead, okay, then they can give a, a fuller understanding of who Jesus is and uh, that he is significant in that way. Additionally, Jesus was not ready. And so part of this is the timing of God's will being done. Jesus was not ready to reveal the full scale of his Messiahship. Uh, he will reveal more about himself once he rises from the, his, his death, burial, and resurrection. And, and he's pointing out again, hey, I, there's first things first. I got to be crucified to accomplish what the Father has sent me to do. He must, he must die before everything comes into place. He was, here's the thing, he was committed to the Father's will even when facing death, no matter what. And the same is true for us today. We must die to ourselves, our selfish ways, our wants, our desires, and follow Christ. That's the call of faith in Christ. And that leads me to the final action step, and that is this. Choose daily to live out the glory of God by doing the will of God. And what's the will of God? Well, it's the same thing he said to these three disciples, and much more if you study the word of God. But I'll just end with this, where he says, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to the son. Obey the son and his word. Tell of the son of God. Let the glory of God that is in you, uh, because of his Holy Spirit's indwelling of believers, come out of you. In a sense, be transfigured out, coming out of you like Christ by living your life to follow Jesus in every area of your life. The, the worship band's going to come and close with this final song, Inside Out. And I've asked them to sing this, and I invite you to stand. Why don't you stand with us as they come and, and they sing. But I want to leave you with this one last verse. And it's from Paul. When he says to the Philippians, is, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed. Paul's telling the Philippians, Hey, this is how I want to end my life. This is how I want to pursue life. All right? I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For me, living means, means living for Christ, and dying is even better. <laughs>